If you've ever loved an addict, you may have reached an exhausted, painful point where you felt broken and were struggling to just keep it all together. I am Kim Moore, and this is Smiling Again, where in each episode we remind you that you are not alone. Together, one thing at a time, we will take small steps to introduce little changes into your life to help you let go, break free of guilt, and live with self-compassion so that you can feel good on the inside and start smiling again. Welcome to another episode of Smiling Again. Today, I have two very special guests with me today. It's usually one. Today, we have two. And with me is Anna and Mitchell. Anna is the wife of a recovering addict, and she herself is also in recovery from codependency. And Mitchell is a very grateful recovering addict. So I welcome you both here today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us, Kim. We appreciate it. Yes. So today we're going to be talking about all things uh, leading up to the holidays because we're recording this in December. It's um, early December. And for myself, Christmas time was always a time of year that could feel extra stressful, not just because of the holidays and all the added pressures that we all feel, but also because of some of the triggers and the things that can happen with family around Christmas. So I know we're going to touch on that, um, but what we're going to do today is a little different than what we normally do. We're going to just let this conversation take us wherever our hearts allow And I think speaking from the heart is the most, I think it's the the best thing for this conversation to get out of our heads, talk from the heart, because I think it's just so wonderful to have the both of you here together. And that's, that's why I say it's a very special episode because we've not had this here before and smiling again. Um, Most of our listeners are people who have lost their loved one. And Anna, you're sitting there side by side with Mitchell, which just brings so much joy and so much hope to so many listening. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. I, I will admit that's sometimes very hard to hear because I think one of the first things of us being codependent or just good people, it's having empathy and hearing that in addiction, we know that the realness of it is, is the possibility of losing, losing someone. And I think this is what makes it so difficult. Um, and I like what you do and I love what you do, Kim, is that even through this, we've talked about this before, you bring hope to so many people, um, as well. Um, whether we're in it or we've lost someone, um, we've got to bring hope. And you having us here and and bringing it together, maybe we can bring some hope and some light into these holidays. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I was just going to say, I love the smiling again uh, for the name of the the podcast, because it was a long time since I was probably five or six years old that I I really smiled and meant it. Um, And in the last three years, getting clean and being in recovery and then and and getting my relationship back. Uh, with myself, my higher power, Anna, my family, um, 
through working steps and working recovery, um, I smile genuinely every day and it wouldn't be possible without a lot of work from a lot of different people. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's a lot of people gave me hope, but it was until I could do things for myself that, that I really, I really find joy in life. And, and, um, to smile again is something that I think is just precious. Mm -hmm. Mm. Absolutely. And I think anyone listening, regardless of where they're at in life, regardless of what's going on, um, we could all use a lot more smiles in our lives. (laughs) And, And Mitchell, you said something there that I think is really important to point out is that smiling, it doesn't just happen. It, it takes some effort on, on all of our, you know, from all of us to, to get life to a point where it's so much easier to be smiling more often. So the thing that we we definitely have in common, common with our journeys is the focus on healing and the need for recovery, no matter where you are in your journey. So Anna, what would you like to share about you know, your, your healing journey? Cause you talked about, um, recovering from codependency, but perhaps tell people what, what codependency means in case of, there's anyone out there who is not familiar with, with the term. So codependency for me, um, at the very basis of everything was if inside I felt a certain way or I wanted to express something or I wanted to choose a certain way inside, but to the outside world, I did the opposite. That was codependency to me. So if I felt sad, but the outside, I made it look like I was happy. Or if I was hurting and I wanted to tell someone I was hurting, but I was so scared of the reaction I might get or what I thought was a withdrawal of love, um, I would hold it in. For me, that's codependency and why it's so important for us as families um, to heal in our own journey is because if I'm doing the opposite to appease the outside world, then I'm not living according to who I really am, what my morals and my values are. And to be honest, before addiction even happened in my life, I didn't realize I was doing that my whole life. Mm -hmm. And that's why there was always that little whisper and that part of me going, Anna, you know, there's more in there. Or you're destined to do more, but I would let the fears stop me so much to be frozen. And so for me, my healing was to finally focus on myself and what I really wanted in life. Um, Instead of believing what I thought everyone else around me expected from me or wanted from me. And so in a nutshell, I would definitely say that's codependency is figuring out who we really are, what we want and what we love and everything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know for a long time, I felt like I was, you know, the term walking on eggshells, always worried about, you know, the things that I did or the things that I said and how they might upset my husband or how they might cause him to start drinking, constantly walking on eggshells um, and not really speaking my truth. So what would you say to somebody who was feeling that way right now? Because I'm sure there's someone out there who might be able to relate to that. Well, first, I want to say the way you're feeling is okay. Mm -hmm. 
You're not alone in that feeling. I felt like that for years. You're not doing anything wrong. Um, there's a reason why this is called a journey because there's so many steps in there. So please don't think that you're far behind or there's something that you're doing that's incredibly wrong. We're doing the best we can with the knowledge we have at that time. Um, so I would say you're not alone. Um, what I would tell you is one by one in this journey, step on one eggshell, then step on two, then step on three. And the reason why is because regardless of anything, we don't have control over our loved ones. All we have control over is ourselves. And when we're not stepping on those eggshells, we're believing we have control over them. And then we think that we don't have control over ourselves. And what we need to do is bring it back to ourselves because again, we need to express how we really feel because if we hold it in, I think that's what makes us feel like we're frozen. That's what really makes it feel like we're hurting is because ultimately I know we don't think about us and we think about our loved ones suffering and addiction, but that's, what's really hurting us. We're holding in our feelings. We're holding in our emotions. We're holding in whatever we believe. And I actually want to touch base on this because someone said this the other day is, and I'm sorry, I actually told them that I was angry. Why would you apologize for that? You have every right to tell them that you are angry. We can say that we're angry to someone without screaming, because if we scream, usually that just escalates the conversation. But I can look at someone. I have done that to Mitchell. When he relapsed that first time, I looked right over him over the computer. I am so angry with you because they need to know how we feel. So when we're keeping it in, remember they have something that numbs out everything in which they feel. So in those moments, they don't feel it, but family members feel every single part. There was an amazing lady that taught me this. When your loved one is high or drunk on the couch, the family members are the, always the one going over to check their pulse to see if they're breathing. We as family members have all that pain, all that hurt. And so when they are in the morning, we do have to tell them how we feel because if we don't, nothing's there to tell about the addiction. Mm-hmm. Mitchell, how, how do you feel hearing this when Anna speaks about it? I um, First of all, I'm very proud of Anna um, and how she speaks and how open she is. I think a big, a big part of our combined healing stemmed from our individual healing which is not stepping on eggshells with each other because there is there's things that I masked from the beginning of the relationship that bugged me that I I didn't like about Anna or she something maybe she did that I never spoke up about I just get hired from you know I think my my issues started you know with low self-worth low self-esteem uh definitely codependency um, everybody has a little, has some codependency, codependent tendencies in life. Um, cause we're good natured people. We want to do for others. Um, sometimes we just take the extreme. So, you know, first it's in addiction. I needed people to step, step on eggshells because the silence let reinforce the addict. You're not doing that bad. You're not this bad of a person. Like um, this wasn't that bad of a behavior. No one's speaking up. No one's saying this is wrong. Um, and that, you know, addiction's a lot like, you know, reverting back to 
you know, early childhood. It's like, you need people to say, this is wrong. This is why it's wrong. This is bad. This is why it's bad. This is good. Good for you. Like, this makes me feel good. This, this is how I receive love, how I show love really have to get to the nitty gritty of things. Um, you know, cause the addict is just so, um, I guess, emotionally stunted, uh, because it's just that, you know, that seeking out the, the drug or, or the drink, uh, or the behavior, whatever it might be. And everything else is just background noise, you know? So the codependent and the addict and alcoholic play so well together because of that fact is, they don't, you know, you don't want to step on eggshells and, 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 you know, we feel like we can control the other people and what they do, but, you know, I needed that. I need, I slowly had family members and people get fed up and, and Anna kind of fed, you know, started getting fed up and, and just naturally learning that, uh, you know, we can only take so much. Uh, so eventually it's going to get to that point on its own. I think uh, we were blessed because, you know, our journeys took us these separate, separate paths of, I went into treatment and Anna decided to work on, um, herself through the family program and treatment. So, you know, uh, pretty much going back to saying how proud of I am of her about, you know, working her in recovery is she didn't need to, she had a lot of pain and hurt from the, from the addiction. She didn't have to work on herself through the family program. She could have said, my husband's in rehab. Hopefully he gets it. You know, I don't have to look at myself. Um, because really there wasn't, I can't see anything that she, like in the addiction, I couldn't see that she did anything wrong ever. Like I knew that she was the, the good one. Like I, cause I felt like the bad one. Um, but in her choosing to work on herself and heal, it, it, it kind of brought our recoveries right next to each other again. You know, once I got a level head and started realizing that I have codependency, I have so low self-esteem, low self-worth, um, and I'm working on myself and Anna's working on herself. And then we can communicate about where we are, were on that journey. I, I think that's where, I think that's where it brought us back to how close we are now mm -hmm. is by encouraging each other's journey. And really now we step on each other's that we step on the eggshells around each other. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we some, do. <laughs> sometimes we don't mean that's behaviors like kind of come out, but then we know, whoa, 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 let's step back. You know, we've dealt with this much worse. Yeah what do we do? Communicate. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I like also how Anna said, you know, first of all, don't feel bad about, you know, feeling like you don't want to step on eggshells because it is totally natural. That's the natural hard. way of things. You don't want to do that. I mean, who wants to say, Oh, I did something and sent this person out to use again. No one, you know what I mean? But that's how we feel, yeah. you know, and until the person gets into recovery and can come back and, and live a different way, be a living amends we don't know you know then they can say oh what you did for me was you held a boundary and you stepped on those eggshells and thank you yeah we need to because i i think one of the things is we forget is that people do need to be challenged it doesn't even matter if addictions in our life or not there are behaviors i walked around with my entire life not knowing honestly that i was doing them or that they were hurting other people um why? Because they became a habit to me. I did not recognize that. I did not even um, recognize I could tell you one is that if I'm really excited about something and then someone goes, oh, Anna, I don't want to do that. In the past, I always called it popping my bubble. My bubble was popped. I didn't want to do it anymore. The other person felt bad. I was like, you know, I'm really upset by this. Then I wouldn't even do the activity. And until someone was like, Anna, 
Do you need that person to be happy? Do you need that person to produce happiness in your life? And I was like, no. And then that person, well, you're showing that you do because they said no. And now you're not going to do that activity and you're having a bad day for the rest of your day. And until that person challenged, I did not even realize I let it ruin my entire day. And it's not even that person's fault. And so it became something that honestly, that was one of the biggest things I needed to challenge that it's okay if I get bummed, but now I go do what I need to do. If I need to go for a walk, I need to go to the store. I need to go to an activity. I need to recognize that it's okay the way I feel, but what do I really want to do in life? And I think that's key is recognizing again, that what recovery really is for any individual is living a life that you always knew that you could. And I think everyone inside there, like we always talk about healing and strength and growing. And sometimes we go, I can't do this. Yes, you can. And this is like one of the biggest analogies I keep using is that just because we haven't mapped all the stars and the planets in the sky does not mean it doesn't exist. That is the same about our healing capabilities inside of us and our strengths that we don't think are there. They are. We just need to go on this journey to find them, but they are there. So this journey that you've been on together, I'm just going to add in here so everyone knows that Anna and Mitchell are the founders of We Are Recovery and they help lots of people. And you can see why (laughs) just so far in these few minutes just hearing how they talk to one another and how they work through things. So, so it's absolutely fabulous. And to give everyone a little bit of perspective on things, how long have you been on this healing journey together? More than three years. We'd say three years because in recovery, but it started how much much longer before? Yeah, we, we, well, we've been together for almost 14. We, I went into recovery the first time four and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, so I think we both started working on ourselves around four and a half years yes. ago. It was a little rough and rocky for about a year and a half after that. Yep. Um, and we've been fairly smooth for the last three years. I'm knocking on three years, you know, fairly uh, <laughs> smooth. I'm saying that, but, but still, you know, a lot of behavioral things come up obviously yeah. and, and people and uh, uh, we, we just challenge those every day. We challenge yeah. those and it might not be that moment. Um, but me and Anna have really gotten good at owning, owning our, uh, you know, our action, you know, yes. if it's that day, maybe it's the next day. Uh, maybe it's in a week, we feel something's up, but, uh, we, we do, we challenge it. Yeah. And I would, I would definitely say for myself, um, if we're really talking about recovery, when it was that eye opening moment, um, just starting to work on me. And let's be honest, I went into those meetings to help Mitchell, um, not to help myself. That is not what was on my mind. Um, but slowly it morphed into that, honestly, without my knowledge, because when I learned about codependency, I learned about boundaries and enabling what it did was start to produce confidence in myself. Um, and when I held a boundary, I realized I could do those hard things that I didn't think I was capable of. And then I have to admit, I think when I did pack up my bags and I left, I think that was another big moment for me because that was something I did not think I was capable of doing. I feared that for quite some time. Um, And then I think the biggest part in my recovery where I really switched gears and really worked on me, it was when Mitchell was an outpatient 
I think he was already in there for about 60 days. Um, I was sitting on the porch thinking about going to my Al-Anon meeting because he was um, in the meeting himself at outpatient. And I remember the sun going down and going, Anna, are you happy right now because you're actually really happy on your own two feet? Or are you happy because Mitchell is sober? And I actually just got goosebumps again because I remember that moment so much. And I remember telling myself, I'm happy because Mitchell is sober. And in that moment, I realized if that was the truth, that I was also putting a lot of responsibility on Mitchell that he needed to be sober for me to be happy. And in that moment, gears changed and I realized I've got to work on me. What does that look like? What's my self-worth look like? What does my self-talk look like? What are maybe some core beliefs that I've had since I was a child that when it's hit home, just maybe someone talking to me or something acted upon me, it rocks my core and it freezes me in fear and I can't move forward. And those were the things that I had to work on for my own healing. And some of it had to do with addiction. I absolutely, there's triggers, there's trauma, there's absolutely, we're still going through that today. But I also think at the basis, if I didn't work on my core beliefs, my self-worth and my um, self-talk, I don't know if I could get a real handle on the trauma and the triggers as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to point out to anyone listening, because um, listening to you, it can inspire people, but it can also maybe cause people to get stuck because they can feel quite easily that. I can't do that. I can't, I can't be like that. And, and we just have to stress that this takes time and you, you are where you're supposed to be on your healing yeah. journey right now. And it's just that one step, yeah. one small step at a time. And, you know, like you, I, I, I think I started healing four and a half years ago Oh wow! when my husband passed away. Um, And that was the moment that I got incredibly stuck, but I didn't, I didn't realize how stuck I was at that moment until this past week. Although even I've been healing and working on things, there was just things from that moment that I have been stuck in and unable to nudge. Well, I think, I think we've gone past that, but that's four and a half years later. And, you know, moving forward in so many ways. So it's not, it's not a straight path. It's not a straightforward journey. And it just, I, I think if for anyone listening, um, you can get stuck in perfection and wanting mm-hmm. to do everything in the right way. That's one of the 21 ways that you can get stuck. There's 21 ways <laughs> that I've just learned. And, and that, that was a huge one for me. And it's just knowing that everyone can get stuck at times, but you learn through your healing, you learn ways to get unstuck and you get better at it and and you get unstuck faster and able to to manage situations and move forward with a smile. Um, Everyone, absolutely everyone. So I hope people hear that. Well, I like that you said that because um, I could tell you right now, I, I, I can understand those feelings that you have because in that self-talk, if I hit a major trigger or I hit a trauma pain and what is the first thing my self-talk goes to? I thought I was further along. 
And it puts me down instead of pushes me forward. And that's when I have to recognize, because in the past, I never recognized myself talk saying that to myself because it was a habit in my mind. But now when I hear it, I tell myself it's okay for where I am. And I love that you said that healing and recovery is not linear. It's back and forth and all over that place. And that doesn't mean that we've backtracked. It doesn't mean that all. One of the things someone taught me one time is sometimes if it looks like we've taken a a backtrack, it's not. It's called a slingshot. We go all the way back to really look at things. We take it all in. We gain so much knowledge and we actually slingshot in our recovery. And I think those are those aha moments that it's like we there's something that I, I didn't see there, but now I have. And I think it goes back to again. You've discovered that other part of you that's always been there. And the best thing I can tell you about like healing and recovery is that it really is like a veil is lifted off of you and the world does be, does become brighter slowly, but it becomes brighter. And I, I, I did really like that. You said that earlier about just that perfectionism piece, because that is one of our codependent traits is being per trying to be perfect and people pleasing. And what I tell people is if we really take a moment and we stop and think about what perfectionism is, Sometimes it's not even our own ideas. It's what, again, we think other people expect of us. So our mm-hmm. idea of perfection doesn't even come from ourselves. Or yes, it comes from somebody else. And it's, it's crazy that we do that to ourselves. And the thing is, is if we're always doing that, we are hurting ourselves because we're trying to obtain something that might be in someone else's eyes. And so one of my affirmations that I tell myself, because that perfection of peace comes up a lot, um, is I am the most perfect, imperfect version of myself. And that helps me. It helps me move forward. And why? Because I've always thought like I've got little quirky things that make me excited. And so that's a, a way for me to digest that in a way of, You've got your quirks and that's okay, Anna, accept it, embrace it. And that's what I've slowly been doing. And that's my healing journey. Brilliant. Brilliant. One of, I call it an incantation that I've been learning is everything that I need is within me now. And with an incantation, it's getting your whole body and feeling it through. So I do mine when I'm out walking, when I'm out running and I say these things out loud and I use my arms and I <laughs> use my voice, use my whole body. Anyone passing by just smiles at me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's really just so important to just acknowledge that um, you are where you're supposed to be and everything that you need to get through whatever you're experiencing. It's already there within you. Yeah. Trust. Yep. And then with guides such as yourselves, Mm -hmm. it makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? We definitely, that's one of the things like Mitchell was expressing earlier is that we could not have done this alone. We could not have, I'm telling you this right now, there's no possible way we've could, we could have done it alone. And when you were talking about, um, we are recovery. The reason why that came to be is because Mitchell and I just saw something that I didn't want to keep the knowledge that we obtained from so many people being vulnerable with us 
silent. And I wanted to hopefully bring a light into that darkness because Kim, I know you and I can relate to this a lot. And I know Mitchell can too, is that when we're in this journey, we feel so alone. We don't think Mm -hmm. one person out there can understand how we feel. And that fear keeps us silent. We don't want to express it to anybody. We don't want to tell anybody the pains. And because when we are talking to the addict, a lot of the times we always feel unheard. And so it becomes even more of this loneliness and darkness. And if we could open up and use our voice and be vulnerable, just like the people before us have, if there's any possibility we can help one person, then it's worth it being vulnerable, just like the people before us helped us. We, and, and that's something that I just always hear in me now is too, is that we don't recover because people are silent. We recover because people were loud and vulnerable with us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, um, um, you know, it's, it's, we feel alone because it is a journey and it is a process. And sometimes that journey and process is kind of slow, just creeping along, you know, until you have that moment where, where something else clicks like this. And a lot of people that don't, don't get it, or they're not on that part of their journey, or they, you know, don't have these things in their life or whatever it might be, you know, we're at that slow point and people are like, you know, one or two people might say, you know, we'll do this or just get over this or, or do, they just don't understand. And it's not their fault. They're just, they're just removed from the situation. So we're on that slow part of our journey. That's working up to this big moment. uh, And we get, we get, we turn inward because we feel like we should be different. We should be, you know, like, I'm not going to reach out. These people, you know, don't understand, you know, so it's, it's hard to not feel alone if you know in in just general society because there's just so many things going on with people but if you find like-minded individuals like the we are recovery and 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 the people that shared their knowledge with us in treatment and uh self-help uh videos and 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 i mean Brene brown's like huge in in my life i love all of her stuff um um you know it's those people being vulnerable and let you know that it's okay and they've been through it challenge it and then it keeps us going along, but it's easy to get down on yourself in your journey because uh, if you're around the wrong kind of people that aren't, aren't, you know, they're just kind of watching from the side, they don't get it, yeah. you know, and we kind of beat ourselves up for that, but uh, it definitely you have to stay the course and, and, and surround yourself with, with, you know, people that are challenging themselves. It doesn't matter what journey you're on, but if, if you're challenging yourself and you're looking at yourself and you're feeling it, um, listening to your body and saying, you know, well, that didn't work out very good. Yeah. You know, what can I do a little differently? Or this worked out great. I'm going to share a little bit about this or I'm going to share about what didn't work good. Um, I think those are the people we, we kind of need to gravitate towards. And one of the things I found funny is you talked about guides. Um, I know you've had this happen as well as like when, when people, and this is actually, this is my own insecurities and anxiety popping up when I say these words, my own self-worth is when someone says, I look up to you that I have anxiety right now, um, even saying those words, to be completely honest. But what I want to tell people is, if that's even a possibility, then people need to realize something. I was them, and they are me. Why? Because the person you see in front of you right now was not the same person before this journey. I didn't speak up for what I believed. I didn't speak up for what I thought. Um, I didn't speak up when someone hurt me. 
What did I do? It didn't matter if it was friend, family, work. I kept it all inside because I was so terrified of telling someone and having a withdrawal of love. Why? Because I didn't believe I was worthy of love. And sure, I could tell you on good days, yes, I did feel that way. But on those days that hurt and were hard and were struggling, no, I did not feel like I was worthy of love. I was self-talking myself down, saying all these things. And what it took was a support system, people challenging me, and me challenging myself that brought me to where I am today. But before that, no, I didn't want to hold a boundary. Um, I enabled all the time. And I didn't speak up for how I felt. And it took a journey to get there. Like you're, you're talking about just that one step. That's all we need is just that one step. And that starts. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's exactly why I set up the Blossom community to have that place where people could take those steps together, whatever step they wanted to take, but also for, by doing things and having fun. So it's about activities not just talking um, or learning it's by physically doing activities together because if you're having fun doing something you learn mm-hmm. a lot faster yes you do it's a lot more <laughs> enjoyable so you can speed up the journey just by doing these fun things um, so every month we'll have different activities so there'll be art therapy uh, dancing um, I've got a whole big long list doing a sunrise swim on Friday morning, um, just all sorts of different things. Um, cause I don't know about you, but I felt that for my, for me to be a different person, to help facilitate my healing, I had to do different things, Absolutely. try different things, completely get out of my normal way of being. Yep. As I say, Kim, the reason why I actually love that you say doing activities and fun and playing is because a lot of times I think um, we believe things are going to go back to normal. If we move forward or if um, our loved one gets recovery, we just think it's going to go back to this normal. That normal in the past doesn't exist. And what we actually have to do is create almost a new life for us and what it I think is an amazing thing you do is through activities. We need things that fill our time that bring us light and hope and happiness. And like you said, the podcast is smiling again. And I think it's an amazing thing that you do because a lot of the times we do need to learn how to relive again. We really do because I think in addiction, we're sometimes only existing. Mm -hmm. Day by day may be going and we might call it living, but I think we're only existing. And what you're creating for yourself and from others is planning these fun activities is one of the parts about healing that we forget about is just how to have Have fun fun. again. (laughs) Well, how did, you know, and so for you to do these activities, I know for, I know for me, if you and I live near one another, I'd be at every (laughs) single activity. I love, I love that stuff. And, And why is I think because at the very basis of all of us, we are still always children. We want to have fun. We want to have hope. We want to connect. We want to see the light. And by you doing these activities, we get to connect to who we are in the essence. And it's that childlike curiosity and wonder and light about this world. Mm-hmm. And so I read, yeah, I I mean, if we were close, trust me, I would start <laughs> we'll have to figure out how to do them sort of virtually at the same time and live stream together. 
that, that could work. work. That could work. <laughs> I, I, I think it's super important though, and 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 you 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 definitely have something going on because you know there's a lot of people that I know in, in and out of recovery and, 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 you know, whatever behavior they're, they're working on that, you know, they start to work on themselves and then, okay. So you get good with that, that the, the drinking, the drugs, not a problem or, or the gambling or whatever it might be, but then you just start getting into the groove of life and it starts to feel like you're stuck in that addiction again, because you're like, what am I doing? I'm just going to bed. I'm, I'm waking up. I'm, I'm eating. I'm going to work. And, you know, no, no real connection, no deep conversations. Um, and you feel like that's it. And it's like, who, who doesn't get down, you know, just being in that thing. So, I mean, I think learning how to have fun again, you know, as a, as a, an adult is like key. I think, you know, really <laughs> there should be like how to have fun at, at work. Like every day at Monday, it's like, let's, we're going to plan what we're going to do on Friday for fun. You know what I mean? Because it just helps out everybody. Um, that is what we want. We want that connection. We want that fun. We want that goofiness, even feeling a little bit anxious about going out with a bunch of people. It's like, that is fun at the end. You know what I mean? Like, I hate, I hated that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm such an introvert, uh, but I love it. I love doing it. It's just, it's, it's pushing through that, that uncomfortable, you know, and then something's really fun after you do that. Cause you're like, man, I did that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you said pushing through the uncomfortable, like I say to myself on a regular basis is uh, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Because I know as soon as I feel uncomfortable, I now know to get excited because that means that there's there's growth on the other side. So, yeah, that's uh, awesome. That's how I'm trying to trying to get comfortable with <laughs> So a couple of things I want to mention. The first one is um we did some painting online yeah. last time we spoke. And that was an amazing moment of connection that I felt. And I'm still painting all these flowers and I'm still trying to get to the point because I'm not just painting the flowers. I'm trying to take a photograph and then I'll, I'll have a photograph for each person so they can see their flower on the canvas of hundreds and hundreds of flowers. I honestly don't even know how many are there, um, cool. but I will get that done. I'm hoping to get it finished before Christmas. So then that's the next topic is Christmas. And and that's where I would like to sort of close this conversation off is um, as we lead into the holidays, I know the holidays can be, obviously it's stressful for so many reasons because people put too much pressure on themselves to create the perfect Christmas, which we know doesn't exist, but they, yep. they try anyway. So with, with family and loved ones, there can be all sorts of triggers, things that happened that suddenly just switch how we're yeah. thinking and feeling about everything. So could you provide a little bit of guidance around how do you manage holidays and, and not get triggered and, and be in a state where you can smile and enjoy Christmas more with your loved ones? I, I think a big thing is to recognize that if you do get triggered, it's okay. And you're not doing anything wrong. Remember those triggers that we have, it really is our body and mind going, wait a minute, let's not move forward. Let's assess the situation first and then move forward. So if anyone gets triggered, um, just know that it's okay. It's a thought that's going through your mind. And if it's a family member, I'll let Mitchell talk on, on the addict side, but on the family member, that's what I want to really say. If you get triggered, please don't think you're doing anything wrong or you've backtracked. Okay. Um, 
this is a part of our healing. Um, what I do for me is in the past, to be completely honest, I thought I was always thinking about myself, but I wasn't. I was thinking about how can I support Mitchell? How can I help Mitchell? Uh, what happens if my family members come up to me and ask me how I'm doing? I'm already getting nervous and anxiety filled about that. What happens if someone comes up and asks me, how's Mitchell doing? Or all these, do you want to drink? All <laughs> these different things. I would tell you right then and there, first think about what you need. What do you need for the holidays? Is it having a plan for yourself that if these someone is to come up and ask, how is your loved one doing? One of the things that I had to realize to do, it's not my question to answer. It's the one that should be directed towards Mitchell. And what we do is, I never realized it's course in the past, that's somebody else's codependency. Asking Mitchell is more uncomfortable and hard for them than asking me. And so what I was doing in that exchange, didn't even know it. I wasn't challenging them on their codependency. And then I was taking the codependency on for myself to answer the question. And so now what I do is, um, thank you for asking. Why don't you go talk to Mitchell? That is what I will say now. And the reason why is it's not my responsibility to answer for that. And then sometimes I actually will say, you know how I'm doing? I'm doing. And then I'll start the conversation on, on me too. Um, because what I recognize in the past is with family members, um, it was always about how's Mitchell doing? How's this? How's that? And I think it was very easy for me to forget about myself because there was no questions being asked of Anna, how are you doing? What are you uh, doing in your life? What are you working on? Nothing like that. It was always Mitchell. And so I think that kind of perpetuated that belief that it's all about the addict. It's all about Mitchell. Yeah. And what I had to do was um, speak up for me, start the conversation there. And then also for Mitchell and I now, because we are both in recovery, if a trigger happens, Mitchell and I actually talk about a plan before we go out. If Mitchell is to get triggered, it's okay for him to look at me and go, Hey, Anna, I'm being triggered. Do you mind if I leave? Or would you like to come with me? In the past, automatically I would go with him. Why? Cause I'm terrified. But the truth about this is in that moment, if I go with him and he hasn't asked me to go with him and I just go, what I need to realize is I am completely putting my focus on him. And there is all my other family members that were waiting to see me and have connection with me and spend time with me. And what I'm doing is putting my focus on the addiction again. And I'm losing sight of the people that are yelling for my love or, or wanting to be loved. And what I need to do is direct my time through there. If Mitchell is okay and he tells me it, he's okay, I actually stay now. In early recovery, no, I did not. I got right up and walked out with him because what did I believe? If I'm with him, I'm going to stop everything that's happening. But what I actually stop is all the time I could have had with my family and my friends and everything like that. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I think that a lot of mine's similar. Um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with my family uh, or anybody that I'm going to be with uh, about my boundaries around alcohol uh, or any drugs um you know it's you know if i feel not safe or i feel like a behavior is coming up for me or or my ego is coming into play and saying like starting to tell me that i can have a drink or something 
Um, I tell them that, you know, I, I will leave from the situation. It's nothing to do with them personally. It's something to do with me and my safety. So I've had all those conversations with family. Um, and if it was, if it was going to be something that I knew I was going to be, and I'd have that conversation again, pre prior to going over for a big event, like, like Christmas, um, or new year's or something. Uh, a thing I've done is I haven't really gone home to where I used and abused, uh, most of my life. Uh, we just stay clear of that. We go to another, uh, place to meet up as a family, um, another state. So that takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, but I think that the biggest thing is having that plan. If something happens, what am I going to do? Because I think if it's left to just like a quick decision on the fly, we panic, we go into our behavior, which might be codependency, might be putting our thoughts or our feelings on the back burner just to stay in a situation and not rock the boat or whatever, have a family member mad at us. So it's just in my own head, I kind of say, you know, if I'm triggered or there's alcohol there, or someone offers me this, I can just say this, I'm going to say, no, thank you. Uh, you know, um, if they keep on persisting, I, I tell them that I'm in recovery and I'm, you know, very happy. Uh, and I, you know, don't need something to drink or whatever. Um, if they don't get that, then I remove myself. Um, I talk, talk about it with Anna and say, if, if I feel a certain way, I'll, I'll come over to you and say, I need to step out for a minute. Um, you know, everything's okay. You know, I'll come back and talk to you in five, 10 minutes and tell you what was going on. And that allows her to know that, you know, she, she doesn't need to like second guess if she needs to come or not. Um, and if it gets bad enough, I can say, Anna, can you come talk to me? Um, and we'll both leave the situation. I can get my feelings across with her and then, uh, kind of, I guess, go back into the festivities or whatever. Uh, another thing I do is, uh, sometimes I'll drive separately. Uh, so if Anna wants to hang out with her family and I, you know, it's the holidays, there's going to be someone there that's getting a little too tipsy or something. I mean, it's just, it's such a normal thing now, which yeah. sucks, but you know, and I can't be around it. I just can't. Um, so I'll say, and I'm going to go and I'll just, and I'll go. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, you can stay or whatever, but we talk about all these things. And, uh, I try to be open and honest with all my family members. Um, and, and quite frankly, if it's, if it's, family that I've had that conversation with and, and they consistently just drink a lot or, or offer stuff. I have to take my connection and I just won't go over. It's as simple as that. I, me, I matter. I matter. My sobriety and me matters so much more because if, if it doesn't, I don't have anybody in my life, you know, so it that way. And I think a big thing is to recognize is that one needing boundaries. So Mitchell was talking about his own boundaries um, I have my own boundaries. Um, it's my choice to someone else's choice. And it's not because we don't love somebody or, you know, we, we don't want to create the connection. It's just to keep, um, our, our mind, um, clear and our sanity there. And then another massive thing is having a support system. You cannot do it alone. So in those moments, I need everyone to know out there that the way that Mitchell and I communicate right now, it's not how it was four and a half years ago or even three years ago. <laughs> So the first holiday event I will I'll, I'll remember Mitchell like he's like you you didn't see me giving you the like we need to go and and I was like no he's like well he came up to me like really drunk I can't believe you didn't tell him to stop and I remember looking at him and the first time I didn't want to say this I don't want to step on eggshells but then I went why do I have to tell somebody else how you're feeling yeah. and we had an argument about that fun one right there 
because Mitchell did think that I should speak up for him. And then I thought, no, because that's what got us into trouble in the first time. I always spoke up. And if I spoke up, then what happens there? But guess what? We de- yep, we decompressed, came back a couple days later, talked about it. And Mitchell realized that, like he said, I need to tell somebody that they're making me uncomfortable because they're drunk. I need to stick up for that. And it's him holding his own boundaries. And when I just said that I was holding my own, I love you and I care about you, but I'm not going to fight your own battles just like you shouldn't fight mine. And in that moment, what did I need to do? Reach out to my support system because you better believe I started going, Oh my God, because I just said that he's going to go out and use, he's going to do this. And the truth is we don't know about that because that's his to control of what he wants to do. However, I can control my health and my sanity by working through it with my support system with them telling me, regardless of what happens, Anna, you stood up for you. And that's how I grow. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point though, is most of the stuff we talk about and all the experience we have comes from really messing it up a bunch <laughs> of times. We, we did not communicate very well at all. And, no. uh, we did it very bad and we learned from all those times. And now we're a little bit better at it. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing was to assume. And so when we would go to places like that, I had assumptions, I had expectations. And my favorite thing to do was to mind read. I loved doing that. <laughs> Why? Because asking those questions were hard. Yeah. I didn't want to ask those questions. So I would fill in the blanks with my assumptions. And then that would always get us into trouble. And so it, it really became having to have those hard conversations. And if you have someone that's still in the midst of addiction and you speak up for what you believe and you hold those boundaries, you're not doing anything wrong. It's okay for you to walk away in that moment. Go have fun with your children. Go have fun with your family and your friends. The reason why, please. And this honestly kind of brings me to tears because I know how many I missed. Don't let another holiday pass by because addiction is there. You need to go and create those memories with your family, your friends, and your children. Do not let the addiction and the addict take it away because Kim, you know, that big thing that I like doing is separating the two Mm -hmm. because if our loved one ever comes out, they're going to want you to spend the holiday with your family, your friends, and your children. Mm-hmm. Do not let the addict stop you from spending another holiday with your family. Please don't. Too many go by and we don't know. It doesn't matter addiction or not. We don't know if we're given tomorrow. So the best that we can do, and I know for me, since a child, I've loved connection. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, um, I remember all those holidays that I wasn't in the moment. And I'll never get them back. But I know This Christmas, no matter what happens, I'm going to be in the moment. I'm going to be with my little girl. I'm going to be with my family, regardless of what happens, because I deserve being in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And the way you've expressed that, I feel um, the need to just add on one little thing for anyone who's listening, who has lost their loved one. The same still applies to be there in the moment to enjoy the holidays because that's what your loved one would want. So there might be some tough traditions that make that challenging, you know, talk to your loved ones about which traditions you want to keep and maybe new traditions to start. 
that's a good idea. I, I think I think that's um, you know something that's been really helpful in my family. But yeah, the same thing applies no matter what the circumstances is choosing to be in the moment and enjoy yep. the holidays. Can I actually ask you one question? Because I do know um, it hit home a little bit for me of how I felt sometimes. Um, and I'm wondering if you feel the same or even greater. Um, when I was enjoying a moment, a holiday, a day, and I knew that my loved one was an addiction or or maybe we did have um, a friend that passed away from addiction. I almost felt bad that I was happy or that I was feeling good. Is that something that um, happens? Is that when you feel those moments of good or you're, you are happy, does any thought come in sometimes that you shouldn't be feeling that way or you feel wrong to feel that way? I think it's common for people to feel that way. Um, for me, it was more wrapped in guilt that that person wasn't, you know, that my husband wasn't there to enjoy those happy moments. Um, so it it was how I cast the, the sadness over the happiness because Mm. he was missing. Um, but I, I, I I honestly don't know if I wouldn't allow myself to feel happiness it's it's so complicated so incredibly complicated because there's layers of sadness grief shame all bundled up and um it's not until you start learning to step out of it and to observe it and to observe the the thinking which triggers the emotions and to actually see what's happening and just observe it and let it happen that you can start to pick through it Um, So I do think it is different for everyone, obviously. For me, definitely, it was taking a happy moment and making it sad because he wasn't there. I, 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 um, the reason why I really wanted to ask is because I can, I can relate to that. And I didn't realize that until you said like that, that guilt or shame that that's there is because when there were a lot of times that I would be having a happy moment or happy day when Mitchell was in the midst of the addiction. And suddenly, like you said, I never thought of it that way. I I was happy, but then that shame or that guilt, whatever one came in over it and took, it felt like it took over, but it was casting a shadow. I really did feel happy, but I did feel like what you were expressing. Like if someone we love is hurting, should I really be happy? And I, I wanted to know if that was something. And, and I'd, I'd love to ask you, how do you work through that if you feel that? So how I work through it is just, first of all, being aware that it's happening. Yep. That's the first thing. If you don't know it's happening, it will just wash right over you. So you have to let these things happen, but be aware that it's happening and learn the skill of and I've done this through meditation and mindfulness to to observe the thought which triggered the feeling and like oh that was a thought oh that's the feeling and to just watch it and it passes I love that that's it yeah that's 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 the most important thing in my recovery as well is is that just uh, being aware of my body cues of my thought of my of just the process of everything that, that goes on because I, I lived most of my life unaware 
of the the learned behaviors, the core beliefs, all the values that I grew up with. Uh, they just dictated my life. And I didn't know why. I never asked why. <laughs> uh, I never challenged them and just being aware of things, uh, you know, noticing it and saying, that's just what I thought. It's okay. Like, what do I think about it now? Yeah. Oh, maybe it's something different. But uh, mm-hmm. awareness is, is key for me in my recovery. And, and you know, knowing who to be around and who to talk to and, 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 you know, what holiday things are good to do and what, what, uh, thing, what things in recovery I need to do, or what am I lacking in, um, all stems from that awareness. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Well, we, we've covered so many things and I'm just quickly going over what are some three things that people can take away. Uh, and, you know, a quick summary would be one, the importance of your own recovery. Whoever you are, wherever you are, acknowledging the importance of your own recovery and healing from whatever you've been through. The second that you shared, Anna, is that that healing journey isn't linear. <laughs> it, it can go up and down. And the whole concept of the slingshot, I've been slingshotted last week. <laughs> Definitely. Just the fact that you can, you know, you move forward, but then all of a sudden you feel like you're being pulled back to be slingshotted (laughs) is that a word slingshotted forward I love that I've not heard that before that's really good and then the third thing for the holidays communication obviously is critical and have a plan talk just talk in advance you know whether your loved one is with you or whether they've passed talk about it and have a plan for how you want the holidays to be so that you can be in the moment and enjoy it Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's been really, really, really helpful. And I'm super grateful that you've shared so much with us in this episode. Um, We always end with gratitude. I always end every start the day with gratitude and end the day with gratitude and every episode with gratitude. So what do you think are three things that you're both feeling grateful for in this moment? I mean, I'm always, I'm always grateful for my daughter, it, just the light of my life for sure. Um, and just her health, mm-hmm. you know, something. Um, I know that in this moment, I'm just grateful to be here. Um, if you would have asked me four and a half years ago, I would never even do something like this. Um, so I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have met you because this is going to be a slingshot in my recovery. And like Mitchell said, I am grateful for my daughter. Um, never thought any of this was ever going to be possible. I really didn't. And I am grateful to be here today because as I said, addiction out of the equation, I never knew I had to heal even before addiction came into my life. Um, I never knew I had a journey of recovery, never knew what that word was. Um, I'm grateful to be here because I feel like I'm actually here. And I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody, (laughs) but for me, I really feel like I'm here for once. And so I'm extremely grateful. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, yeah, definitely like, you know, grateful for my daughter. I'm grateful for technology to where we can meet over things like this and we can can touch so many people's lives because through we are recovery and just, we know people from around the world now uh in just such a short time that really connect with us and really lift us up so grateful for that that chance to reach more people and uh you know i'm grateful 
to smile again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And you know, that's usually what I say to close, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. Oh, but no, it's been absolutely wonderful having you here. And I am super grateful that that you have shared so openly and honestly with us all. And I think, I hope everyone sees the importance of that honesty to recovery um, and to finding their way to smiling again. One step. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. This has been Smiling Again, hosted by me, Kim Moore. Let's walk this journey together, one thing at a time, taking small steps, little actions every day, which can help you let go and start smiling again. Don't forget, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you.